Welcome to Accelerate Your Wealth, a podcast by Rebecca Robertson, founder and director of Evolution Financial Planning. We hope you enjoy the show and please feel free to leave us a review. It really does help. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram or head over to www.rebeccarobertson.co.uk or our sponsor, Evolution Financial Planning for regulated advice on www.evolutionfinancialplanning.co.uk forward slash podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Julie Crayfield, who is an award-winning speaker, author, and business strategist. She has done many things over her 30 years of career, and I can definitely say that's the case when you get chatting to her today. We're gonna, yeah, she's got such a broad range of experience. And all of them have involved change, helping communities, individuals and organisations to make important shifts they need to make. From humble beginnings with her fair share of adversity and personal struggle, Julie has used her unique ideas, energy and social movements not only to create change in her life, but to create a, a lasting legacy in the lives of millions of others around the world. She's an author of 14 books in the last one, but we're going to be talking to her about today and the whole sort of ethos of the conversation is titled how not to be broke so we're going to be talking to julie today all about oh there's so much involved like if you're thinking about going self-employed you're a solopreneur um or an entrepreneur or a very small business owner and you're feeling a bit lost you're not sure what you should be doing how you should be doing it you're getting confused with all the online noise that you're hearing out there you're not sure whether you should invest in something or not um if you're you know on the right path what what you shouldn't shouldn't be doing right now then this is perfect for you this is this is exactly uh, what you need but you know how not to be broke can apply to anyone at any stage in business there's some real tips in this podcast um, about how you can be proactive productive and make your business uh, purposeful and profitable so enjoy go oh my goodness we have been talking for like 45 no 40 minutes maybe <laughs> and i'll tell you what you guys would have loved to hear this conversation um but um we're gonna well no we're not gonna behave ourselves are we gonna behave ourselves julie i don't know i can't promise that <laughs> <laughs> no nor can i you're you're a little bit of a, a, a naughty influence i think you know, <laughs> i love your i love your honesty um and i love how we've opened in how long have you been running your business and particularly in the online space for julie i've i've been a solopreneur for for almost 30 years in uh, easter come in it will be 30 years since i got my first freelance contract Um, my company has been in existence since 2007, but it's, it's been in many different shapes. Um, but I've, I've been helping freelancers, creative, small business owners, experts since around 2003, you know, specifically. That's a lot. That's a lot of knowledge right there. Right. And what would you say is the most toxic trait that you have seen in your 30 year career yeah I think um I had a very successful um plus size fitness business and it was an online business because I was uh, a single mum I had a newborn baby and I couldn't do like I couldn't be a personal trainer because I couldn't get childcare, and the the business model doesn't work like that it wouldn't make me enough money so I designed that business to be online purely for my own situation and it was long before 
fitness went online, right? It's 2010, I started that business. And um, I didn't know anything about the online business coaching world, not a thing. I didn't know who, who all the people were. I didn't know the models. I didn't know how people sold pe- to people on webinars. And so when I dipped my toe in that world, I was like, holy shit, like I've arrived. Like I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I was an, I was a consumer of all of that. You know, we can all be millionaires and it's all about money mindset. And, you know, I really kind of was like, yeah, you know, because I'd never looked at money mindset before and I, I didn't know what was possible. And so I, for a couple of years, was in that messy place of believing it all. And then I think you have some success and some of that success would have been as a result of being in that world. But then you go, actually, how much of this is true and how much of it is bullshit? And I think there's an element of we look to the people that look like they have success. Right. And once you're in that world, you realize, yeah, of course, they've got testimonials because, you know, one out of 50 people do get to six figures or one out of, you know, the the it's ratios, it's a numbers game. And so they're not technically lying because their sales pages are right for maybe 1% of the people. And when you're in that 1%, it's great. I was in a program where I was in the 1%. I was like, yeah, I've just had a multiple six-figure business. Woohoo! But I realized, you know, all of my peers, all of the people that were in that group with me, they didn't. Mm. So when you're in it yourself and you're the success story, it's amazing. But when you're not, you realize actually a lot of the, the messaging isn't for the masses it's for the few and and I think I was an anomaly (laughs) in that program because most of the people that do extremely well are the people that already come from money that already have resources to put behind Facebook ads that already have a network that already have people who have come out of corporate that are sitting there a bit bored with money to spend and so it's only when you unpack all of that and you've been in it for a while and you see the cycles going round and round oh, oh you've got to yeah. you know you've got to do high ticket no don't do high ticket it's all about the mini products you know and it just goes <laughs> round and round and fucking round oh, you know yeah. it's like flares will they come back into fashion <laughs> you know that you're so right they just come around and, and what I found hilarious just in the last two or three months is um there's somebody else on the scene and it's like they are the one it's like it's something out of school playground you know where, like, you have the popular the new the popular new girl yeah um and it, they're, they're just like this is going to sound really derogatory um and it's not intending to offend anyone but it's a bit like sheep mm. where everyone sort of like just follows the masses right yeah. and you think well if they're doing it i can do yeah. it um and i mean i shared with you before that um I, you know, I had my, I've talked about this before on my show, I had my um, membership, I had a mastermind and it was washing its face, but it weren't making me money. And I was having mm. to do a lot of re-outsourcing to make it work whilst I was running my regulated business. And although my regulated clients didn't suffer, I suffered because I was getting pulled in too many directions. And actually, this is, it sounds crazy. I already had a six figure yeah. successful financial services business that I probably gave like, half not even half my energy to 
because yeah. I was in that little whirlwind that you described of like wow look at all this new stuff and you know a bit of a magpie trying to learn it all but you don't know what you don't know this is this is the problem yeah. you know and and we we go on to social media because we're told that's how you sell but what happens is we become consumers as much as we go right we're the producers we're the ones inviting people to our stuff no we go oh what's my competitors doing oh what's that person doing and before you know it you're convinced to buy into things you don't even need oh you must have a youtube channel okay then i'll go and get that you must have a score up okay i'll go and do that and all the while while you're chasing these things the core basics of having something good that people actually want goes out the window yeah we forget we forgot to we forget the basics don't yeah. we yeah, I totally understand that. For like for me, I thought webinars would be great. So when I scaled mm-hmm. down, I got rid of web, I got rid of membership, I got rid of the mastermind. I thought, right, what can I do for my regulated business? I know I'll do webinars. Yeah. Like, no, it just didn't work yeah. for me. Web- webinars don't work for me. Would work for somebody else, but it just didn't work. And there were so many examples of that where I I tried really hard. I did all the right things. I listened to all the right trainers, and it just didn't click. And part of the problem with that is when when you invest in a coach or, you know, an expert that's helping you with those things and, and it's just not for you, right? It's just not the right strategy for you. And you say, well, it's not worked. And then they make you feel like you've done it wrong. Well, it's yeah. got to be you. It's like, going, it's like going to Weight Watchers, isn't it? You go to Weight Watchers, you put two pounds on, but you followed the plan to the T and they go, well, you know, you're obviously lying. There's something you didn't put down. I'm like, no. I did it. I did exactly what you asked me to do. Look, there's the meal plan. But just yeah. sometimes things are not a good fit, you know. Um, there's a lady called Nicola Huron who I love. She's so authentic, and she's um a sort of uh, yeah. She she's she does a little bit of corporate. She does a little bit of business coaching. Um, and um, she had a business called CEO Mums, and I think it still is called that. Um, and she she talks about being a cookie cutter industry. Mm. That you know you've got this magic formula, and you know it's my magic formula. And if you don't buy into my magic formula, then any other formula is not correct. But actually, if you follow my formula, you will win. But I was following the formulas, and it wasn't working for me or my business. It was either my skill set or my resources or my my audience. Um, and that's what I found that when I was trying to sell the membership, I was spending so much more marketing resources. Um, and on my mastermind um but that's not what people wanted from me yeah. I closed the mastermind and then I had people I said to people right who hasn't started investing because I've done a course on it in the membership and they come to me most of them said no I haven't done it and I said right I'm gonna yeah. do it for you as a one-to-one really cheap because you've been in my membership um and I had like 20 25 people say yes please they would yeah. rather pay three times the annual membership as a one-off lump sum and pay pay me to do it for them but this is the thing that when we listen to experts and I am not cutting down experts because we do when we don't know you know it is useful to listen to experts for sure but when the proportion of what we're listening to is so heavily focused on the experts that we stop listening to ourselves we stop listening to what we intrinsically know and we stop talking to and listening to our audience then it becomes just just stupid, you know? You're, you're flying blind, aren't you? Yeah. you and, and, you know, I think that is primarily why I wrote my book, because I was so fed up of listening to other people. You know, I, I got made redundant at the start of this year. I'd taken a full-time job for security, right, because I wanted to move out of London. I lived in London 45 years, and I just couldn't get a mortgage 
with my business, despite doing six figures and all of those things. I just couldn't get a mortgage to afford to live in London. So I thought, right, get a full-time job, really good salary, and I'll move out. Did that. Month later, got made redundant. All right, so there I am, back to square one, now with more overheads, and, and I'd wound down both of my businesses. So beginning of the year, I felt completely broken, and I thought, this is ridiculous. Like, I should know how to do this shit. I've been in business a long time, and I found myself wanting to sign up with a coach. I found myself wanting to find somebody else's expertise. And I said, no, you've got to sit down and work out what your process is for bouncing back, for bouncing forward. And so that's why I wrote the book. It's based on 12 principles, 12 things that have worked over and over and over again for me. doesn't mean those things are easy, right? So principle number two, radical self-responsibility. That's a fucker. You know, every time I look at that one, I'm like, yep, it's like hold the mirror up. You know, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. The things that work aren't always easy. Right. Yeah. And so when you see these webinars and they're like, it gets to be easy. It's all about vibe. Go and dance. And, you know, like, yeah, it's all well and good. Those things help. Right. But yeah. if you are shit at what you do, if your marketing is rubbish, if you've got visibility issues, all of those things, it don't matter how much you dance under the moon. You know, there's some key principles of doing business key skills not everyone is designed to be an entrepreneur despite what the world will tell you some people just don't have a creative bone in their body they don't understand how to make a profit they give everything away they're people pleasers and unless you're going to nip those things in the bud and change some of your behaviors you're always going to be running a loss leading business and I think if you're okay with that fine no judgment you know it's okay because business can do other things for you but what I find is so many people are running lost leading businesses and they're not willing to own up to that. I, I hear it all the time. Um, you know, people that you think are, you know, on the face of it, doing quite well, um, but they haven't got profits to do what they need to do. And that's either because they're lying <laughs> or um, they're spending their profits on, on yeah. unnecessary things, as we've just mentioned, you know, investing in another course is only investment if you know the return of investment. So unless you go, someone sent message me the other day and said, oh, should I go and work with so-and-so or should I go on this mastermind? And I said, in six months time, once you've spent X amount of money with the X and Y, what return of investment do you want to see? And that answered it. It was yeah. it was so clear cut because one was more of like a nice to have and it was like more of a, a, like a personal development thing. Whereas yeah. the other one was actually a growth spectrum to actually grow the business. Yeah. And then she said, well, if actually, if I could take on X number of more clients because I've got a better support team around me because I've managed that better, then that will give me a better return of investment. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we we get caught up in that whirlwind. Um, so they've got leave a lying about it. Spending unnecessarily, which not spending on yourself is not always the return of investment. Mm. It can be working on those, you know, um, glass ceiling, those procrastination, working on, um, you know, giving the money away all the time, working in certain areas, you know, you need to work on. Yes, that's still that's that can be a really good return of investment. Um, and then the other one is um, they well, they're lying, they're spending it. I had another one in my head. <laughs> scratching my head literally I can't remember what the third one was I've obviously got carried away about but I think there's one about not needing it right and I'll be completely transparent I think I think the reason that I've been so successful in business is because I've got no other bloody choice right I don't have I don't have wealthy parents that can bail me out I don't have a partner I've not had a partner that has supported me ever in my life so if I don't make money 
there is a direct consequence to that. And so sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll have calls with clients or potential clients and ask I ask them about their why, I ask them how much money they want to make or need to make. And it's all so wishy-washy. It's like, oh, it would be nice if I could make, you know, an extra whatever. And then when it comes down to the crunch, when they don't go for the sale and they, it don't really matter that, you know, yeah. their husband pays the bills and, you know, I'm not being judgmental, oh, but no. I think a lot of success comes from that drive, that, that being hungry oh, and, you know, it might be that you're hungry for something else. It might be that you're financially stable, but you're hungry for, uh, you know, your ego pushes you because you want to be seen to be successful or you're trying to prove some something wrong. And there's nothing wrong with any of these things, but just admitting it to yourself, admitting that's what drives the industry. 100%. I mean, I, I, I'm, I've been with my partner 23 years and I've... Um... I've been fiercely independent. The amount of times when I first started my business, he was, you know, first two or three years, I really struggled. I mean, I'm talking struggled. I had a yeah. four or five year old. Um, I, you name it, I done it. I did um, a psychic fair. I did a wedding fair. I, like I did a baby baby fairs. Some of the big expo baby events. You name it, I done it. I tried everything. I threw myself into the whole thing. And my main motivation was to be financially independent. And my husband and my dad just kept saying, you don't need to work back it, Becky. Why, mm. why are you working so hard, Becky? Why, why don't you just go and work in a bank and work a bit part-time, Becky? Now, I'm not dissing anyone mm. to do that, but I wanted to be financially independent because what I see as much as um, I speak to a lot of women who have got divorced and yeah. have no pension and they're having to hold on to the assets within the house because they've been reliant on their partner paying into the pension they have gaps in their employment they have gaps in their pensions they're retiring later and then you add divorce into the equation um it is massively detrimental to their finances and if they're single mums it's even it is even worse yeah it's even worse because there's bigger gaps because you haven't got the child care you haven't got necessarily the support all the time some partners are obviously better than others but if you're definitely a single mm. solopreneur a single mom um yeah it's, it's 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 massive 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 impact so for me it was more about I wanted to keep my financial independence now I'm 13 years later and I have got a stable business like I could take a month off I wouldn't because I've got my I've got clients to look after. I've got a team to run and I love what I do. But if I did, I would still have a six-figure business. I, I just, yeah. it's not passive, not saying it is at all. Um, but um I would I would still have a have a business. And the reason yeah. I wanted to do those things is because my husband wasn't gonna pay for my horse. My yeah. husband wasn't gonna pay for my daughter's horse. Yeah, and, you know, we've got two children in private school. I pay for one of those. I pay so it's not like then you get to a point where you set yourself up expenditure wise, you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah. And and not doing that beyond your means is obviously crucial, but then that puts that sort of pressure on you to achieve a certain level. And that is doesn't matter where you're at. And that's happened. So when I first went, um, I went and saw a client who was um earning over a hundred odd grand years and years and years ago and he he said that we're going to do some life insurance his kids are there his wife's there the kids are running around and he's like I don't know where all the money goes like literally the money just goes and it doesn't matter if I was talking to a same fam similar family and they were on 20 grand a year they'd say exactly the same yeah. that's what people do they just naturally you have the money come in you don't go well I'm going to put 25 percent of it aside just for just in case to invest reinvest in my pension or um, whatever else we, we go oh well I'll go and get a car loan or I'll go and 
you know investing invested another coach to work yeah. with or um yeah we, we don't lean on the side of sensible and so I think solopreneurs are even worse at that because there yeah. is drive and environment to make you go no you, you go go for more go for more yeah. and that keeping up with the joneses as well obviously yeah and i think it's it's creating that kind of secure base like your finances are one part of it and actually one of the things that i do i talk about it like a chair right financial stability is one part of it but you've also got to have like physical stability um emotional stability and spiritual i call it spiritual but like belief right when those things start falling apart right yes you can live on three of those you try having a stool with two legs right and so even if you've got those four things that are really stable the environment can change we saw that during covid right the environment changed and a lot of coaches or or gurus that were very successful they also had to change their strategy and their tactics so their whole business model changed you know, and so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing an, a kind of hangover from the pandemic, you know, cost of living, all of the crisis that are going on around the world. You know, lots of solopreneurs took out bounce back loans because the coaches were encouraging them to because they wanted them to have cash flow to be able to continue investing. Guess what's happening now? People having to pay those bloody loans back off. You know, so there's, you know, there is going to be an element of people not being able to invest in coaching for a while you know, because they didn't perhaps get the return on investment with those loans. And now they've got two years, three years of paying that back and being reminded of it every month. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a long, uh, yeah, I hope you you got a return of investment on there somehow or something. It wasn't just a jolly. Um, So tell me a little bit about your 12 principles in your book. Tell me some more. Um, I think they are all things that can be done, um, separately to one another so it's not like a system it's not a process it's not like do these 12 steps it's not a 12 step process you know it's not a program it's more reminders right so one of the things that really frustrates me is when people go hopefully you know they they build their businesses on hope right now there's nothing wrong with hope as an emotion you've got to have hope because otherwise you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning but if you do not have a strategy if you're using hope as your strategy then you are royally fucked right? You have to have a strategy. You can't just keep winging it. Uh, So the first principle is about hope uh, not being a strategy. A strategy is a strategy. Um, There's there's some principles that are around kind of knowing the numbers, you know, uh, reviewing the data. Um, There are some ones about sales, you know, you have to learn how to sell. You can't keep going, oh, I don't like selling. I don't enjoy it. It's not, I'm not very good at it. Don't be in business then. Like genuinely, if you can't do sales and you don't have enough money to outsource your sales, you can't be in business. You know, it's very hard to outsource sales. Very hard. It is very hard. You can't put the same passion or anything behind it. I've, Katie's in, in my team. Um, and I, we, I, it's, it's not sales as such, but I guess you would call it that. It's all around the positioning, how we mm. help people. That's a form of sales. Yeah. Katie does my initial discovery calls. Um, because, but she's worked with me for nearly seven years yeah. and she's very much ingrained in the business. It's not something I think you can just get. I've, I paid a sales agency once actually to get me more leads. And actually she was a, an online favorite. Um, and um, yeah, she still owes me money. Put it that yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then one of the other big ones for me is about time, right? When you work out how many years you've got left in your professional life, can you really waste the next two weeks, the next three weeks, people put off 
the sales thing you know they go oh I'll launch next month or I'll launch it you know and and I during the pandemic I think it was fear that drove it if I'm being honest I launched 15 different offers you know did over a quarter of a million pound of sales you know was homeschooling you know didn't even have a bloody outside space at home you know it was and I think what that time showed me and I think it showed a lot of people is that we use a lot of excuses in our business right and when the shit hit the fan all of a sudden I stepped up. I was leveraging every last bit of time that I had available, you know, um, and I was able to work really hard to work really, you know, graft, but also I made some real clear things. I said, to, I remember saying to my clients, don't email me. I'm literally not going to read your emails. Just don't email me. Like, cause emails was the thing that I could spend four hours going through emails and you, you know, you never respond to things, you know? So I just literally made a public service announcement, like, Dude, that's yeah. Just, just don't talk to me. You email them, and then they you email you back, and then you yeah. and you've got yeah, like yeah. twenty people doing that. It's it's it takes up a lot of yeah. time. So one of the things that I share in the book is my color coded system. Right, most of the stuff we do in our business doesn't make any difference. It makes us feel better, but it doesn't make us uh, make any difference. So I talk about gold list activities, right? And the problem with gold list activities is you can't tick them off in a morning. Right. So most of most gold list things require a little bit of thinking, a little bit of creativity, lots of courage. And they tend to take two or three weeks to put everything together. So a launch would be an example of a gold list thing. You know, the creation of a website, the creation of your social media strategy and, the, you know, all of these bigger projects. And what we do is we go, oh, I've got all of this other shit. If I get that off my plate, then I'll have time for the gold list. You don't. You run out of time. You run out of energy. You never get on with it. So what I encourage people to do is to break up their gold list um, items, to literally earmark time in their diary. And, and I just block it out with a yellow pen, pen so that I know I'm not doing anything else. I'm not looking at notifications. I'm not. I'm literally just doing that. And if I spend an hour on a gold list task, even if it doesn't get finished, I give myself a gold star. And I know that sounds so juvenile, but it works. I look through my paper diary and I look at all the gold stars and I go, look at me flying. You know, and those... you've got a paper diary as well. Oh my God. So, so I use both. So I've got a okay. digital diary and a paper diary that really works for my kind of ADHD brain. Um, um, but for me, I know when I'm in momentum, it's because of the gold list activities that I did three weeks ago. Yeah. You know, and so and, and then the other thing is I, I color code everything. So there's seven colors. Shit list stuff is red. Um, and there are some things in your business that you have to do that are shit, you know. And so minimizing the shit, you know, um, blocking out. Most people say, you know, I say to somebody, how many hours do you work on your business? And they go, oh, all week. And then no. when, we block, <laughs> when we block out the time, they've got four hours, four yeah. hours. You know, when they're not delivering, when they're not running the kids to school, when they're not at yoga or Pilates, what you have <laughs> is four hours. Let's build a business based on those four hours, should we? Rather than the 40 hours you think you can fill all those things with, you know, and then I they recently, sign up to another bloody program. Exactly. Exactly. That. I, I recently changed my, I, I was sitting here. So I, my working hours are nine till four, um, apart from a Tuesday. And I take my little boy swimming. So it's nine till three like nine till three ish 
Um, and but I would sit here sometimes with admin time allocated and I would faff. I'd go through all my emails and I would check everything was done. I wouldn't work on what I would call gold items, but I would just I'd be nice and tidy and my, you know, message everybody back that I should have done. Um, <laughs> and then I'd have to get on with actual proper admin, looking at reports, analyzing funds, you know, the proper actual work that I'm paid for. And I would twiddle my thumb as I would think of something else. I would waste time. I, I don't yeah. even know what I was doing. So I've now come up with a philosophy that my brain can't do the job this job not my pop the podcast job talking to people could do that all day every day no problem at all but that analyzing piece that talking to clients talking to clients i find super easy but it's quite a lot it's, it's mentally quite draining mm. highly focused on numbers and figures the whole time the whole conversation and taking them through a journey of a process etc um so it's it's like four four to five hours a day um so now my work day is nine till two the first two and a half hours, I'm admin only. So when I sit down, I'm like, you've got to get that, that and that done. Yeah. And then the next two and a half hours are on calls. And I've done it that, that way. When I finish at two, if there is something urgent that needs doing, I can do it. But then I can also stop. And then I'll go and I'll go and get my hair cut. Yeah. Or I'll go and do, oh, I haven't got enough food for shopping. I'll go and do, because yeah. my the mum mental load on, on top of dogs, horses and kids was just, and my husband now, having to go into London more was like ah this is not working for me yeah, and I was yeah. trying to keep up with the same pace before and it's like why am I doing this this is not why I started my business but I think and this is why you know looking at yourself rather than the experts like looking at yeah. what's going to work for me when in my week do I have the most energy like if people a lot of people go right Monday morning and they they're full of beans and they, they they do all this shit stuff that drains all the gen energy out of them. And then they go, oh, I'm exhausted now. So come come Wednesday, they want to wind down. You know, yeah. so it's like you've got to look at your own schedule and make it work for you. You know, those high moments, those low moments, and look at how much of what I actually do day to day. How many of these networking events do I go to that actually they make me feel nice, but don't ever lead to business? Mm-hmm. Like you know, you've got to make those choices for yourself because otherwise you know, you, it sounds rude, but you've only got yourself to blame if your business is not where you want it to. And I know that there are some business owners that spend 10 years doing something they could have done in a year. Yeah, 100%. So what do you, knowing what you know, what do you do when you're in overwhelm or you're in sort of a situation where cash flow is not great, what you've you've done in the past has not worked what advice would you give to people because we're in a sort of a bit of a sticky situation now we're we're not going we may or may not be going into recession that's not not really coming into at the moment because actually although we're plateauing we're not dropping our our growth although the UK's growth is poor it's not it's still not dropping interest rates have just stayed the same but the main thing is is that people's mortgages are going to be going up and I think a lot of people are very much more conscious on how they are spending so your marketing has to be even sharper than better like for me a lot of people will say well I'm just going to keep the money in the bank because I've got money to invest but I'll keep it in the bank at five percent but I spoke to a lady yesterday, works for a very high-end bank, earns a lot of money, got 200 grand sitting in her bank, bank account earning 0.5, hasn't got the time to think about where to put it. That's, yeah. that's, that's my ideal client and I will show. So you know, there, there are clients out there, but it's yeah. knowing how to find your ideal client just because you've got a generally like, you know, if I was going to say, well, everyone's mortgages are going up and I'm not going to market anymore. Yeah. Then 
I wouldn't do anything. I think it's going back to basics. So this is what I do. I grab a colored piece of paper and I've been, I've used this process for the last five years, colored piece of paper. And the reason I use colored is because we lose white pieces of paper on our desks, right? So I'll get bright yellow or bright red or bright green and I get a Sharpie pen and I draw a triangle, right? Top of the triangle, I call it the triangle of need. Um, and I say need, not desire, because need feels like a more compelling emotion, right? But if desire feels better, then use desire. Triangle of need. Top of the triangle, what do I need? Over and above everything else, what do I personally need? Cash flow-wise, ego-wise, security-wise, like what are all the things that I need? Um, on the left-hand side of the triangle, what do my ideal clients need? Same thing, you know, what transformation do they need? Where are they at in their lives? What do they need ego-wise? What kind of love do they need? What kind of support? Like really investigate that. And then on the final point of the triangle, what does the world need, right? And that's a little bit more fluffy. It might be the world needs hope. The world needs laughter. The world needs security. The world needs, you know. And if you can design an offering that serves all three of those audiences, um, and make it like absolutely a no brainer for the right people to say yes, that's where the magic is, right? But then what happens is people come up with that and they go, oh my God, yes, that's the thing. And then they talk themselves out of it because the tech, they haven't got the tech or they haven't got the website, or they haven't got the da, 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 da. people will buy that with no with no website. They will buy it on the concept alone. And if you're willing to have enough individual conversations or talk about it on social media enough times to get people to come into your DMs, you can sell without a sales page, you know? And then once you've validated the idea, then you can spend that money on getting the website done. But actually it's the energy in the middle of that triangle that creates the momentum. What's yours then? What's your thing? And what? so what have you got coming up? Not necessarily something you've done in the past. Talk to me about yeah. that same example. Yeah. But your thing. So I spent time over the summer doing two things. So I had a big launch before um, uh, the summer and I got six ideal clients into one of my programs, gave me a lump sum of money. It was nice. And then I wanted to write my book. So I spent the summer writing the book and spending time with my daughter. We went on holiday and stuff like that. And then I came back and my intention was to launch the book and go into launch to do another cohort of my legacy program. I launched the book. The book was great. It got into the top 0.3% on Amazon, all of those lovely things. The book launch was exciting, blah, 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 blah. I run out of energy and steam to do a proper launch. So I didn't get the five clients that I needed. So from a cash flow perspective, bearing in mind the year that I've had, it's really precarious again, right? So I've had to go back to basics. Who's my, my predominant audience isn't actually business owners. My predominant audience, my email listing, for example, and my social media, they're ordinary people. They are people that followed my running stuff, people that have been life coaching clients. They're just normal average women, right? They are not going to be able to invest 500 pounds, 1,000 pounds in working with me. They're just not. Most of them wouldn't even pay me 100 pounds for anything because, you know, my first six-figure business was based predominantly on products that were between five and 25 pounds. It was a micro payment type business. So I've gone back to basics. What do people, what do, what do I tend to launch this time of year? What do people most need? I'm doing a 20 pound program at the moment. It's called Countdown to Christmas. It's not even a business program, but it gives me what I need. Do you know what I need at the moment? I need that validation 
of I'm really good at galvanizing people. I'm really good at giving people hope. I'm really good at leveraging my assets. And, you know, I've got this audience that I've not done much with this year. They can't, they're throwing their 20 pounds at me. They can't wait to do the countdown to Christmas challenge because they come back every year. I think it's my eighth Alison, year. I'm intrigued. So it's called Countdown to Christmas. It's bonkers. It's like an advent calendar for adults. And we do it in a Facebook group and people pay their 20 quid and every day there's a new activity. But it's bonkers. It's like, you know, do squats in the alcohol aisle in Tesco's or, you know, whatever. So it's kind of part fitness, part like don't take yourself too serious, part moan about your mother-in-law. Like it's just surviving Christmas basically. Um, And I've had everything from like maybe a hundred signups to I think the most we had one year was nearly 300. So it's, it's the most bonkers thing I do all year. It's fun. It always makes me a few grand and it always leads to people wanting to work for me in the new year. Um, But for a little while I I wasn't considering doing it. So again, it's like an asset, a resource that I had that I wasn't using. I wasn't even going to do it this year. But, you know, partly I just went back to that triangle and thought, what do I genuinely need? And I need to have a bit of fun. I've worked too bloody hard this year. I love that. And you mentioned that there was something else you're working on uh, that's coming out, do you say, next week? Yeah, so I um, have been having lots of conversations with business owners who are my ideal client for the legacy work. So my legacy master plan, I worked on the Olympics. A lot of people don't know this. I worked on the Olympics for about eight years um, at every stage of the Olympic process, bid phase, build phase, games time, legacy. The work that I loved doing most was the legacy work. We had like a 25-year legacy master plan. And as business owners, we never think about beyond the next 12 months, right? And so I think when you've got to a certain point in business, when you've been doing what you're doing for like 20 years or whatever, I think it's the right time to step back and go, what do I actually want? What do I want the legacy of my life and my business to be? And you've got a decision to make. You can say, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm just going to plod along. I don't need it to be bigger. Or you say, actually, I do want this work to live beyond me. And there are various models that you might use for that. You might license, you might whatever. Um, But that's what the Legacy Master Plan does is it gives you the space to do the thinking to create a 10-year master plan. You know, and it's for people, sounds a bit morbid, but it's for people in the final phase of their business, the final 10 years of their professional life. Um, And so I was having all these conversations with people that were absolutely right for it. But when it came down to the the money, they're nervous about investing. They're they're nervous because cash flow has been low and they're just, you know, and it was the same old story. And one woman said to me, I wish you just would do a program that helps me make five grand before Christmas. And I was like, okay, put it in one of my groups. Who else might be interested? Five weeks to 5K. They were like, yeah. So I'm now going to be doing a program starting next week called Five Weeks to 5K. And the irony is I used to have a program called Five Weeks to 5K years ago that helped women to learn to run in five weeks. And I was on ITVs this morning <laughs> teaching the nation to run with my Five Weeks to 5K program. So it feels like it's come full circle. Um, you know. And again, that concept was already there. I just hadn't thought about it yet. No. So if people are feeling overwhelmed, then maybe they should be writing down all of the assets like business assets totally 
and list totally. them all out. I, I know myself, sometimes there's things that I've got that I've probably forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that's what happened through the process of writing the book. I went back to all of the things I've been teaching for years, things that I was teaching. I used to do a project in King's Cross and it was called Create King's Cross. And it was for all of the creative people that were in King's Cross doing interesting work, but didn't have business plans. I went back and I was thinking, what were the, what was the things I used to do in those sessions? You know, and so often for me, the writing of a book isn't about new concepts. It's about consolidating what you already know. Yeah. And so do you advocate, you know, those like what, you know, another thing to have the TEDx talk or the YouTube channel do you advocate having a book um no and I tell you why you don't make money off of a book right the only book I've ever made money off of is um the fat girl's guide to marathon running right that's my best-selling book I wrote that in 2017 I think um and that continues to sell year after year after year after year right but how you make money from books isn't through the revenue, it's through what you sell off the back of it. So that book, I didn't make a lot of money off the back of it through coaching because I was only selling products that were like 50 quid or whatever. But that book got me all expenses paid trips to the New York City Marathon. It got me an all expenses trip to Israel to do something with the tourism agency there. It got me speaking gigs. It got me sponsorship deals. So that book probably has made me half a million pounds not in revenue from book sales though. And I think that's where people think, oh, write a book, sell a million copies, you know, and it just doesn't work like that. The average book sells less than 200 copies. Yeah. Yeah, I've got one client who's a what I would call a proper author um, and she makes a lot of money. Like if you walked into Sainsbury's, her books are up on the shelves. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, amazing, lovely lady. She, and all she does she's not online she's yeah. not on Facebook she's uh writing writing books and got deadlines yeah. and yeah. you know that's what she's doing so someone you, you can but you if you and I know a lot of sort of got a couple of people that I've come across in the last few years are like oh yeah I'm writing a book and there is a real buzz around it I will say like when you wrote whenever there's so much effort and energy and for me it was almost like um therapy writing my book yeah yeah um it but it it I, I send a copy of my book to any new client that I take on. So I use it more of a referral and recommendation. It's a, it's a positioning piece. It positions you as an expert. Like, And I think for me, my natural communication style is writing. And actually, I've always wanted to be a writer. So my dream is to just live in a cottage and write books. Like genuinely, I, that's my dream. That's my legacy plan, you know, and I want to live off the royalties, you know. Um, so for me, I can sit down, you know, the running book, I wrote that in 28 days. I literally got the idea for it, put it up on Amazon, and it was a bestseller before I'd even written a single word, yeah. right? And, and in 28 days, I just took what I knew from my head and wrote it. But I don't second guess myself. A lot of people, when they go to write a book, they second guess themselves. So it takes them a year it creates a whole heap of stress that they don't do anything else while writing their book. But yeah. for me, because I, I kind of cut my teeth as a blogger, I blogged for 12 years. Writing is the most easiest thing for me. I could I could knock out four books a year, easy, and still do everything else. Because that's I my... <laughs> I, I probably should. And you know what? I woke up the other day and I've had this idea for a book all year round. And now that I've got the Christmas people signing up, I'm like, they're the ideal market for this other book I want to write. Yeah. So I may write a book. Um, I'm going to decide this. I might write a book to, to come out on January 1st. It sounds like your audience would really love some of your um, planning or stationary tools because you're really good yeah. at that creative 
if you had like if you got like a uh, an amazon shop of stuff like with for stationery or some, something yeah i don't i don't um i've got a, a an amazing tool it's a trello tool it's called the solopreneur dashboard and it's really funny i've created it my my clients have been using it for years it's beautifully branded thing and i'm second guessing myself because i keep seeing other people i keep seeing facebook ads with these dashboards but the other people's dashboards are done on Excel and I hate Excel. I, I just, you know, whereas my one is beautiful and you can rebrand it in your own colors and all of those kind of things. Cause it's the creative in me, you know, but I need to get my finger out and start selling that as well. It sounds like it. I can definitely see you having like notebooks and planners and yeah. charts and like or taking all of these resources because you, you you're obviously good at selling at that sort of that like mass low, like yeah. lower price point. Yeah, um, I think you'd make quite a lot of pennies that way. Well, I've, I've really enjoyed our chat today. I loved how honest you've been with me about where you're at, where you're going, what you're doing, etc. Um, obviously, people can buy your book, um, yeah. How Not to Be Broke. Um, on Amazon so we'll share the link in the show notes is there anything sort of lasting message or finishing message you'd like to end with today I think it is this thing that our money shouldn't define who we are mm. you know we all start life in different ways you know we either come from money or don't come from money or we're somewhere in the middle and things happen throughout our lives that affect our financial security and the minute we make or allow that to define us I think we're in trouble and I think, you know, just knowing that you're priceless, regardless of how much is in your bank account, that for me would be my overall message. Wow. That, and that's massive. That, that sort of comes down to if we're having a bad time, how you feel about shame or when a jealousy that you feel when your neighbor's got a new car and the amount of triggers we have around money mindset yeah. is, is very embedded. Um, and sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. Um, I mean, I know that some of the work that I've done um, on my personal development side of things has really helped with that. And I also did some what's called heart healing, mm. um, where I um, cut lots of emotional ties, to members and stuff. Yeah. And that's really helped with um, my self-worth. Yeah. And I, and I think for me, the process of writing the book helped me to reflect on those emotional ties. I have really deep roots to my kind of working class roots, like deep ties to my working class roots. You know, my great grandma had 18 children, right? And, and I, so I think about that. And the other day I was on the train and I was like, why do I find it so hard to ask for help, right? And this was part during the book launch. I was like, why do I find it so hard to, hard to ask for help? And I just had this epiphany because epiphany, we were the help. Like my in the background, my nan was a cleaner. You know, many of my uh, aunts were nursery nurses. Working class people were the people that gave the help. Yeah. You know, and this stuff okay. is it's really hard. You've got to unpack it. Yeah. It's ingrained. It's, I, mean, my, I, I wrote some notes in my journal. I try and journal every now and again. And what I noticed with my journaling um, was that I was always, for quite a while, I was always writing down the things that I weren't happy with. Mm. And gaps and things that weren't weren't great and I listened to a money mindset um book um I forget her first name but her surname's Mafusi because it just it rolls off the tongue so beautifully but um I can't remember because of an n um Mafusi um anyway if you're interested uh, message me and I'll, I'll send you the details um but she talked about like you know obviously gratitude but when you're constantly thinking about all the negatives, that's obviously from a manifestation. That's what you're bringing to yourself all the yeah. time. Um, so I sort of tried to, to re 
re-journal a different way and actually focus on some of the, the positives. And then what I noticed is that I seem to be um, not thinking about how I could sort of have more or do more or, you know, what's the next step look like? I sort of found myself, I was like leveling at a certain level. Yeah. And then, and that's because my, my dad used to sort of, my dad gave me that impression. He used to say things to me, which just, you know, people like us kind of mentality. Only get to a certain level. We should, we should be grateful for what we've got. Like don't rock the boat. All of those we yeah. should be aspiring to be middle class, not anything above that. Like it's, yeah, it's like great. Don't get station love, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and like, like having horses. My my grand my dad's never come to see my horses. He's not really interested in them, to be fair. But you know, when I was growing up, I wanted horse riding lessons. My mum used to take me for Christmas birthday presents, like mm-hmm. odd, odd things. Um, but I actually didn't buy my own horse until I was uh well, I've had him four or five years and I'm 43. So I'm talking late 30s. Yeah. I was loaning in my late 20s. I started to ride in my late 20s. And my dad used to say, No, that's that's for people, that's with like the kings and queens, sweetheart. That's yeah, yeah. not for people like us. Yeah. Um, so it's it's interesting how you start to, it's it's so ingrained in, in, it is. in part of our how how it, and it makes me think about I had um a conversation with a lady uh, Agata 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 who came on last week but I'm not sure when it's going to be released when people are listening to this <laughs> talks about basically your money mindset your money mindset and how it affects your kids yeah. how you're coming across with your kids so if you're in struggle and you're like always worrying about money like my daughter messaged me yesterday saying oh, we've changed her bedroom around she's like well can I have all new bed sheets and I was like more bloody money on yeah. sheets and actually what she chose were only 20 quid I should have just gotten but I was like no you've got your own pocket money you can buy <laughs> I was like you tight bucker like you can't even buy bed sheets. I was like, no she can wait for Christmas there's like bed sheets at Christmas what kid wants bed sheets at Christmas? it sort of comes from that sort of you know you make do kind of mentality yeah, totally totally yeah, well, I've loved talking to you today, Julie. Thanks for coming on and telling me all about your book. And um, if you ever need um, anyone to talk to about working out what your business legacy is, then obviously go and get in touch with Julie. Or if you fancy the sound of her um, 5K <laughs> to Christmas or her countdown to Christmas and want a little bit of fun, then obviously go and check out the links in the show notes as well. Um, so should I be saying Mary? It's too early to say Merry Christmas now. A little bit. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna say it. All right, lots of love. Thank you.